So guys, it's that time of the week again, another episode of the Fantasy Kickabout. Um, welcome back, gents, Donica, Shane, um, another appearance on the, the podcast. I don't know if you're getting an appearance fee at this stage, but um, hope you lads are keeping well. Yeah, all good, guys, all good. I feel like potentially I should get compensated for wearing a Liverpool top during like a time where we're breaking all the wrong club records for <laughs> 128 years of history. Um, so yeah, maybe I'll put in a claim at the end of the month, depending on how tonight goes. <laughs> we might we might reconsider that uh, that contract and throwing a few bonuses for you or something. Yeah, I think I'm gonna need something, man. Like, I, I, if you want, I can I can lead off and tell you why the season should be null and voided. But a lot of my arguments are uh, are kind of paper thin, slightly slightly uh, slightly biased towards the fate of my football team this season. Jesus. Yeah. We will, we will obviously touch a little bit on, on Liverpool at some stage throughout the, this episode, but um, we'd planned to discuss and to talk about Pep Guardiola's achievements at Man City. But before we do that, I might start with you, Shane. Um, City United on the weekend, um, I don't know, would you call it uh, an Ole masterclass? Obviously coming away with, with another win at the Etihad um, against Pep Guardiola's Man City. What way did, did, did you see the, the game, we'll say beforehand, and then how it actually panned out? Uh, yeah, well, it pl- beforehand, you kind of thought, right, United are going to do counter-attack, sit tight, you know, uh, keep the defence nice and uh, deep, let Man City kind of play in front of them. Typical what they've tried to do against uh, City in the past. Uh, obviously, when the game started, goal straight away kind of changed everything, and it meant the game was going to play into their hands the way they wanted to. I think Guardiola got a bit surprised, and I know Gary Neville touched on it quite a bit in commentary how high a line um, Man United played, um, because City wanted to play in front of them so much. I think it kind of worked into United's hands that they they squeezed City right up the pitch and. Not have City didn't really have any options to get in behind. Um, so it was there was definitely a game plan there for Man United, which was nice to see because it's something I've definitely accused them of not having in the past and very much relying on just the counter attack. So yeah, it definitely look a, a penalty in the first minute of the match changes everything and makes everything work out in their favour. But it was definitely a positive performance in lots of aspects. Yeah, before the game, I was kind of jumping between City win. I think initially I kind of predicted City win. Then I went to, no, I can't be, I have to be optimistic with, with, with United. That's just kind of who I am. So I went with United win. In the end, I think I just put down for a, for a draw. Um, but again, it just kind of, it's a it's a typical Solskjaer performance where United kind of haven't been putting in the performances as of late. And then, come up with a with an unbelievable performance I actually personally thought it was United's best performance of the season it wasn't a case of parking the bus they actually tried to pass the ball they tried to to get up the pitch um, and I wouldn't have I wouldn't have said City were, were poor either I just just the way that the game went I just think Man United were, were the better team overall Donica did you get to, to see the game? 
Yeah, I, I didn't watch all of it. Um, I missed the opening goal, and then I kind of I, I I watched the bulk of sort of the middle minutes. Um, and I, I missed the last. So, um, what minute did the second goal go in? It was fifty-two, I think. Was it fifty-two? Yeah, I think maybe I, was, I watched another maybe ten or twelve minutes, and then and then slipped off. Like I. I came across a stat on Twitter, which I was amazed by. And I suppose I'm part of the Liverpool Brigade, brigade who's always using the Ollie in hashtag because we we haven't found him as a manager or United as a club a threat up until this point. I mean, real back three months. Um, but he's the only manager who's faced Pep three or more times who's got a better, who's got a positive record against him, which is crazy. I think it's out of like 60, 70 managers. He's the only one, I think he won two and lost one or won two and drawn one. Anyway, even though it's a short like um, cross-section of games, that deserves a lot of respect. Like That's very impressive going. And I was astonished United won the game. I thought like the early goal goes in and I expect City to pile on pressure and United to eventually fold. Um, from, from a Manchester United perspective, it's probably too little too late in terms of the points you've recently dropped in terms of the title race but um like you guys are, are going to be pretty comfortable in in making sure that you'll get top four now and um, there'll be a big uh focus i'm sure in the europa league so like really good weekend from united perspective which no matter what we do is a, is a bad weekend for a liverpool fan but uh, yeah kudos kudos mm-hmm. and a very good win not bad for um, a Norwegian PE teacher, was it? Um, in terms, yeah. of, in terms of performance tactics as well. I'm still all in. I'm still like I, I still I, I still feel safer that he's in chairs than anyone else. I'm I'm still clop out as well. So. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, Donick obviously touched on the point saying that he he feels as a Liverpool fan that United are quite comfortable, Shane. Um, to obviously achieve top four, can you do you see it that way, or do you see, still see it as uh, tight? I know I think there's a seven eight point gap between uh, United, Leicester, and I think the the chase and pack. Um, do you see it as United, Leicester, and then we'll say Chelsea, Liverpool, um, Everton, and a couple of other teams are fighting out for that final fourth spot. Yeah, I, I still just don't trust us as a football team. Um, it's been shown many times that we're. We had those results against Sheffield United, Palace, West Brom all recently. Games where you want us to go and, and win and, you know, we, we're almost better when we don't have the ball against certain sides in the Premier League. And that's why Sunday for me was such a big game. I, I didn't have many hopes going into it, but I was really worried about the top four. I'm still not completely certain with it. Like, I think Chelsea are just so consistent and solid. They're almost a certain shoe-in. Leicester kind of falling apart with injuries. West Ham, you're waiting for them to slip away. But again, against Leeds the other night, they look good. Still waiting for Liverpool to rediscover form or, you know, but I, I'm slowly getting away from that idea. Uh, like, we should, we should be fine, but I just don't 100% trust, or I don't even 80% trust this team. So we should be fine, but I'm not. I think it was a massive result because I think other, we lost that suddenly there's a lot of pressure on these next three or four matches coming up and, you know, a few results go the wrong way, we're in trouble. Yeah. Yeah, I, I kind of tend to, to agree the next couple of games are really vitally important to cement their place in, in top four and potentially um, second place finish. Um, speaking of the, the next couple of games, Donica, how 
optimistic are you about Liverpool getting back on form? Are you optimistic about Liverpool reaching top four? Or do you think it will be a case of, for tonight, um, all eggs in, in one basket, go for Champions League? Yeah, like I, you just, you can't be optimistic right now. The performance level is just so un, just unbelievably poor. I hate using that word unbelievable because if it happened, it's obviously believable. But just watching how turgid and tired the team looks and lacking energy, lacking any kind of fight, I think top four is gone. I think the only way Liverpool Football Club are playing Champions League football next season is if we go ahead and win it. And I actually am not ruling that out. I mean, the massive disadvantage we have is we've no Anfield crowd, which can beat any team in the world almost by itself um, in terms of the impact it has in the opposition. Uh, I think it is all eggs in one basket. Tonight being that basket, and hopefully we can um, we can be solid I can't see Leipzig not scoring. I think if they get an early goal, I just I'm very worried about the mentality. And it seems as if Klopp is quite um he seems very fairly disinterested. He doesn't see it, he just seems as if he's gone through the motions a little bit, or there's an acceptance that after three exceptional seasons, um this drop-off was always going to come and they're kind of just in the doldrums. Um so yeah, I I, I hope we can just sneak sneak through tonight, draw Porto. Um, no disrespect to Porto, <laughs> brilliant win last night. They were amazing. It was it was actually great to watch. Um, but then, uh, yeah, then you know, if there's only four teams left in the Champions League, any team can win it. Yeah, I, I kind of look at it as well. When obviously Liverpool played uh, Leipzig in the first leg, Liverpool were off the back of a couple of disappointing results, disappointing performances, and they showed up. And I don't think we obviously ran a poll on the Instagram page, and I think it was. 60 plus percent in favour of Leipzig winning that game but Liverpool obviously turned up so maybe it's 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 those games those moments those nights that will kind of refuel the energy for the team refuel the energy for Jurgen Klopp as as a manager um do you think obviously you mentioned the 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 lack of fans especially for a, a team like Liverpool um how how much of an impact do you think that could potentially play between now and if they're to progress through the the Champions League? Oh, it's it's enormous. It's it's a huge handicap because the proof was you know that night against Barcelona, that crowd you know Riggy scores early and that crowd is just ferocious and you could visibly see each Barcelona player looking as small as if you, you were up in the in the in the in the back row of the cop. They those players just shrunk around them and they couldn't handle they couldn't handle that atmosphere. What's amazing about Anfield, like I've I've had I've been in, in the in the cop on European nights is it's not even it's intimidating in terms of its support, its support for the home side. It's not intimidating in the sense that they, like there's a there's lots of abuse flying around or or you know it's like I think, you know, Turkish away days had been sort of historically seen as being quite, uh, you know, scary in places in terms of the crowd being quite visceral. I don't think it's that. I think it's just the belief that the the fans give the players and the players respond back in kind. I mean, you have someone like Jurgen Klopp who, he's, I think he misses the fans more than possibly anyone in European football right now because he's like, he doesn't have anyone to fist bump with. He, he, he doesn't have them as a foil to bounce off. So, if Liverpool get lucky with a draw and 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 somehow find some sort of form or get Jota scoring some goals for us now he's back, then uh 
we could still we could still win it. Like that team is still there. Um, but without without the crowd, it's a much much taller ask, I would say, to get to a final. Yeah. Do you, th- do you think there's a lot of European teams, you know, big sides that are so used to playing in front of like soulless stadiums? Like they might have big attendance numbers, but you know they're they're either something more corporate gigs or you know a lot of tourism involved, etc. Like there's a lot of the big big clubs around Europe that they don't have what Liverpool have, and it's nothing to do with numbers or it's just I don't know if like they're probably not missing them as much even in that sense. They're used to playing in this sterile environment, which is what this season is. Yeah, well, if you look at Real Madrid, Real Madrid haven't played, like, I know they're doing work in the Bernabeu. They moved out of the Bernabeu as soon as the lockdown sort of came because, you know, like, I I was in the Bernabeu a few years ago and it was just a league game against Granada and it was, it was so quiet and it was was like 80-odd thousand people were going to the cinema and would cheer well, you know, they won 3 0, it was handy. Um, but there was no real atmosphere, you know, there was no sort of visceral nature of it. So, yeah, I think probably so. Like, take maybe take the German sides out because the German sides are supported so well and they're, they're fans are very, but certainly Italian sides, Spanish sides, even other English sides. Um, you could never say that the Etihad or the Emirates is exactly a, a place that would be considered a bouncing, uh, joyful kind of place. Just, uh, just speaking of, um, of German football, I managed to a couple of years ago get um in actually snuck into the to the yellow wall, and <laughs> that's that's a that's a story for another podcast. But um, managed to get in there, and like you said, Donica, just the atmosphere was electric. The best experience I've ever had at a, at a football game, and this was I'm going to say roughly about an hour before kickoff, and about thirty minutes, forty five minutes after kickoff, everyone was still there singing along, but they were playing Dortmund were playing um. Frankfurt and the Frankfurt fans were as loud if not louder down the far end of the stadium and that just shows like when you go sometimes to an Old Trafford and the away end or the away team score a goal or winning that 3,000 fans completely outsing the the 70 odd thousand um, United fans but that's one thing I noticed in, in German football where it was just noise in the stadium you couldn't tell who was louder? Who was supporting which which um which team? Just the the atmosphere was unbelievable, unbelievable. Yeah, no, it's a, I I haven't um, I haven't been to a game in Germany. It's so, certainly on my list. I'd love to go to see a Dortmund game. Yeah, absolutely. Um, obviously with with a full full stadium. Yeah, uh, just speaking of lack of of atmosphere, Eddie has uh, Pep Guardiola twenty one wins in a row. Obviously, United brought that record to an end. Um, Mike, put the, the question to you, Shane. If Pep Guardiola is to win the Premier League, do you think that's his greatest achievement as a manager? Um, we, we'll just take out, obviously, potentially winning three other trophies, but just if we focus on the, the Premier League. Uh, my immediate thought would be no. And the main reason for that is I just think there's such a drop-off in standard this season that even if... City are this good which I think again is really hard to tell there's no real challenger like a Man United team that we've just spoken about that aren't that good you know have some good games some bad games are coming second and we're the ones that were pushing them for a little while I just yeah I, I don't think so because of just the drop off this year you don't have if you think of all the really good battles over the years like you had obviously Liverpool and Man City recently 
you had uh, Man United, Man City, Chelsea teams later this year, the Arsenal, Man United teams. You just, for me, a top a top side win in the league, in the Premier League in particular, always had that one big challenger. And I think without that this season, I, I think it's hard. I, I think it's hard to give a definite answer. It's a weird season, but immediately I'd say no would be my reaction. Donica, if you were to analyze Man City squad at the start of the season, would you would you kind of envision um, them achieving what they're achieving in the league? Uh, yeah, like absolutely, and I I totally agree with Shane. Like I, I don't think it's. I think the drop off in the Premier League has been really pronounced, and I think it's there's a few different factors at play. Of course, the lack of fans is one, but I think the players are jaded. They are really wrecked. I think they're physically exhausted, but I think they're emotionally exhausted too. In terms of there's there's always pressure playing Premier League football, especially for a top team, but it's like a different pressure this time because you got to remember football came back and many many strides were made to get football back to give people a lift and like even Jurgen Klopp alluded to it saying we have a job now our job is to is to you know keep everyone's spirits up like almost on a societal level if you're interested in football you're stuck in lockdown there's only one thing to sort of think and talk about and that's your football team um so it's been difficult like in in terms of in terms of like look at that squad there was about 500 million quid worth of talent on the bench last week, wasn't there? And I include, um, you know, the reserve keepers, 10 million, but then you have six players who are just, like whoever was on the bench for City that night, it was about 500 million quid. So, I mean, if you equate spending power and value of squads with where the table looks, they should be probably even further ahead. It's arguable. Um, so in terms of the premiums that they play for players... What, what Pep has done very well is he's actually rebuilt the squad quite well. Um, they lost David Silva, they lost Yaya Toure before him, Vincent Kompany, um, essentially lost Aguero for a year. I know he's back in the squad and back fit, but he can't get in now. But I mean, he, he did buy well, like Nathan Aki probably aside, but that's probably to do with the form of the other centre has more so than anything but I mean the players that he brought in we didn't know much about Diaz he's been quality Cancelo we knew was a good player we didn't know he was going to be this good um, so in that respect he's done a really good job so that that would be where I'd give him the biggest sort of um, the biggest pat on the back in terms of the recruitment they did to try and bridge the gap to Liverpool over the, the summer period Yeah and obviously he does have that financial power behind him that he can go out and spend 50 million on four um, right and left backs, um, 50 odd million on a couple of centre half, 60 million on, on Diaz. So he obviously has that financial power. But where I think Pep Guardiola um, is a really, really good coach, he improves every single player. Every I think every pretty much every single player in the squad improves. Cancelo, I think we all knew he was a good player last season for whatever reason he didn't kind of hit the ground running at City but he's turned into one hell of a I don't know if I'm going to call him a centre mid now at this stage or an attacking right wing forward but um, that's one thing I look at Pep and just see he's constantly improving you probably remember it was last season or the season before when City won the FA Cup and he was out on the pitch giving instructions or tactical advice to Sterling out in the middle of the pitch so he just wants improvements, improvements, improvements. Um, speaking of improvements for Man City, Shane, can you see them winning the the quadruple? 
Um, I think they're better equipped this season to win the Champions League than previous seasons. Uh, only for the fact that I think they're this side looked less likely to implode in a game. You know, the previous City teams that were maybe better to watch or I maybe think were better teams in the course of a season. You always felt like they had a big loss in them at some stage. They were a bit kind of defensively a bit kind of weak or a bit naive at times. And I think this side's different, but I think what's going to let them down is the lack of a top-class striker. If they had an Aguero of a few years ago, I think they'd have more of a chance, but I think that's what's going to let them down. So I don't think they'll win the Champions League this season for that reason. I know, Donica, you made a, a big call, big statement a couple of podcasts ago about Chelsea winning the, the Champions League. How far can you see City going if your prediction is for Chelsea to win the, the Champions yeah, League? Yeah, well, like, I mean, if you look across at who's left, like, who could take who could take down Man City? Could Dortmund, the way they defend at the minute, probably not. Bayern could. Um, I'm not even going to comment on whether Liverpool could at the minute. Um, they're, like, PSG are very dangerous now this season. After last season's... Um, the experience that they had last season, the fact that they pretty much taken Barca out in one leg um, is going to give them a lot of confidence. There could be a, a feeling that this is Mbappe's last hurrah in Paris as well. I don't know if that drives the team forward. Um, I think PSG and Bayern can both take City out. Um, I think Shane makes a great point about a top-class striker because the Champions League is not going to, is not going to toss you up eight seven eight guilt edge scorable opportunities per game it just that's just not it's not the standard that is not how the champions league works it's champions league is won in crucial moments and if if sorry if city have no disrespect to him but i, I still don't rate jesus like i i rate him in the in the in the respect that he's a very good player but is he at the sharp end of world elite strikers no he's not come on like he's not um and yeah, I, I, I agree that that could be potentially an issue for them. Um, I don't think they're going to win it this year either. Um, that's just purely based on feeling. Um, and I, I just think one of PSG or Bayern is going to get it done. Um, if it's not my shout, Chelsea. My, my, my Chelsea shout was kind of a an early shout of what I'd seen at Thomas Tuchel in, in the first couple of weeks. And he's continued it on. And they look like a great cup team, like a brilliant cup team. Very defensively solid. They work very hard. Um, and they have guys who will take chances. Like their squad is full of quality. So, um, yeah, like a, a final four, if the draw works out this way, like the four best teams that are left in it would be, for my money, would be PSG, Bayern, Chelsea, City. Um, and I could see Bayern and PSG both taking out City. But Chelsea probably could too. It's hard to gauge where Chelsea are at now compared to City. Yeah. I feel like Chelsea Chelsea haven't got to a point where they're getting their best players on the pitch. Like they might be picking the most informed players, but they have a lot of quality in that squad that if you were to say all of them are playing at 80% of what they could, there's probably only five or six of them that are maybe actually starting at the moment. Yeah, well, I saw, I, I didn't see the game. Who did Chelsea play this weekend? Uh, Everton Monday. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't actually see the game, but I heard that Kai Havertz was really good, and he and he had a goal disallowed, and he was he was top class. And I I watched Kai Havertz last season in the Bundesliga, and he was ripping up trees. He looked exceptional. Yeah. So, 
Um, they have so much talent up front, so much. And ZH as well, obviously, they came yeah. right. Like, they have a lot of quality that hasn't really clicked yet. And it's, yeah, you feel like if they could get, get enough of their best players on the pitch performing, they're going to be dangerous. Yeah, no, I, I think they're really dangerous for the Champions League. I, I definitely wouldn't want to draw them if I was anyone. Gary's dad would be happy. He's a Chelsea fan. Yeah, he would be would be delighted. Um, just from a from a fantasy football perspective, um, Tuchel seems to be turning into uh, the new Pep Guardiola in terms of rotating a squad. It's very very difficult, obviously, to to put Chelsea lads in, but um. That's obviously a conversation maybe towards the end when we touch on um, fancy football. Um, I think I said on the, the pod a couple of weeks ago, um, City to win. I think I do agree with what Shane said, that they're probably the best equipped City team in terms of what they have to win it. Um, and I just think I just think that Pep Guardiola and the City players will see this season as a huge opportunity to get their hands on on the Champions League, um, I think it'll be difficult, but I, I I do think they they can do it. Um, just again on the the fact that they can rotate their squad, they pretty much have the 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 league wrapped up. Whereas we say Bayern not exactly running away with the league, Paris Saint Germain again not exactly running away with the league in 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 France. Um, so I can see City obviously having that opportunity to rest a lot of players, which gives them a big, big opportunity when it comes to Champions League football to to put out their put out their their best players. Um, Donaghy, you, you mentioned um, there's been a drop-off in performance, player fatigue, um, player burnout, especially when we compare it to the, the start of the season. There was just goals, goals, goals. And uh, football games were, were almost like basketball games at the start of the season with the amount of goals. I think uh, we had one weekend where it was a record amount of goals scored in, in, in one weekend. Um, do you think it's gotten to the stage now where with some players, some teams, there's a bit of lack of motivation after creeping into the team, the football club, the individuals. But is that due to COVID? Because I think we we were chatting about it in the group and I might have thrown up the example of people in a normal nine to five job are getting demotivated with the whole kind of environment, the whole situation. Players are in that similar boat in a sense that Obviously, they go to training, they go home from training, but again, they have nothing else outside of of football. And obviously, football, yeah, it is a great thing from from the fans' perspective. But players could be getting bored. Players could be getting demotivated from not being able to, to live their lives. Do you think that's playing an impact, Donegal? Yeah, I certainly do. Um, and I, I mean. These guys, these are these are elite athletes. They're still human beings. We're going through a generational kind of time right now. That we'll remember this when we're seventy. You know, remember the pandemic, and and no amount of weekly wage or you know or or, or beautiful big houses. Like I, I think using that to say how are they not motivated? Look at an easy life they have. I think that's I hate that argument. That that money argument really really annoys me. But football at the minute just seems a bit like. A, and maybe it's a reflection of my own kind of uh, 
uh, mindset this late into a pandemic, but it just seems a bit joyless. And I think there's a few different reasons for that. I think obviously you score a cracking goal, you get a few cursory claps from the bench. You can celebrate with your teammates, but you don't, like you, we've all seen those celebrate, you know, 50,000 people screaming that, like the feeling of as being an individual of having that kind of power on a crowd must be very intoxicating and why most players want to reach the highest level for that kind of adoration. I think that's definitely a factor. I think, um, I think the whole VAR situation, you, we've now seen quite a few players um, in press conferences saying that they really don't like it. Like, can we just please go back? They'd rather decisions were made wrong than, you know, have a whole celebration and a goal. And then, and then three minutes later, it's chalked off. Um, and I, I, I think that's definitely affecting players kind of joy for the game. And then another factor I think is, is potentially uh, prevalent in the Premier League this year is it seems like there's becoming less and less of an incentive to play uh, expansive football especially against the top six teams because these this this low block obviously it's it's kryptonite to Liverpool like you play like West Brom Brighton play low blocks and put balls over the top and, and you know it's Liverpool find it very difficult to deal with that and it's been seen over the season but for a lot of the sides in the in the league um this desire to play open and expansive and attacking football it is a results-based game and we it feels like we're in a phase just tactically of football now where where the pragmatic approach is going to be the profitable approach that's that's just a take it's something i've felt maybe for the last six months or longer there are exceptions you know dortmund are still playing helter skelter city have just won five two but in the main a lot of teams are sitting in digging in and and a 90 minute game boils down to one or two single moments in that and it's it's there's a bit there's a there's there's a lack of joy and unpredictability in that too um i think there's a few different things that are just making the game um a little bit soulless at the minute yeah, I just want to try it. Uh, don't I get 2021 will be remembered not for the pandemic, but for Liverpool's poor form. Guarantee you that in 50, 60 years time. <laughs> um, well, I think we've got to... We've I got thought to, it was something philosophical you were coming out with there. Gary. <laughs> yeah, we've got 10 games left and we have to win six of them to avoid being the worst, uh, the worst title, worst title defence ever. I think that's Premier League now. I don't know. Yeah. Do you think? Do you think though, with the you're talking about the whole low block and the tactics, do you think there's a little bit of consideration that needs to be given that the fixture congestion means teams can't go and like well we've seen Preston doesn't work, you know, like like the likes of a West Ham has really suited them this season with the way they play and um you know like it suits Spurs for a while as well, you know, with you know playing with just Kane and Son off this. Behind, like in front of this low block and I think teams playing this high pressing game is probably not working this season for that reason as much as anything as well yeah that's that's a great point I don't think Liverpool's injury crisis is uh, just a total um, anomaly I think we've been very very lucky like you can't legislate for the style of play you can't legislate for um, Pickford's tackle on Van Dijk for example but in the main all, all injury problems that Liverpool are having is is as a direct result of the style of football and the 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 load that is that is put on the players. So yeah, that that's contributing to it as well. I think. 
Yeah, and as Shane, you obviously mentioned earlier in, in terms of kind of why the, the gap is so big between even United, Leicester and, and City, and then kind of everyone's playing catch-up with, with City. So you were saying the overall standard within the league has has dropped. Um, again, do you put that down to what myself and, and Donegal touched on in terms of motivation levels, um, fatigue, COVID, any, any other factors you'd, you'd put it down yeah. to? Would you put it down to standard of managers maybe in the league? Uh, I think I think it's actually suited a lot of the managers in the league this season. You know, apart from the top ones, I think there's a there's a big bulk of management that it's suited. And um, I think more than anything, though, what Dunica mentioned about the fact that these players are human beings at the end of the day. You know, um, we put them on a pedestal and we expect them almost to perform week in week out like robots or machines. Uh, then we're all hypocrites as well because we're always talking about how men's mental health is important and all this like it's such a weird time for them as well at the moment you know like we're expecting them to go out and again like Dunica said earlier football was brought back for our joy it was seemed like it was necessary and it's kind of like go out and perform for us you know yeah you know yeah like like dance dance for us boy you know yeah, that kind it's, of it's, mentality it's yeah oh, I and again, I hate the bullshit argument of they're getting paid lots of money, so they should be able to do it because money doesn't hide if, if they're going. Like, we don't know if they're going through any family issues, etc. So, you know, I, I'm not trying to change the podcast into talking about it, but I think, it, yeah, we just do have to remember sometimes that they are, you know, they are humans at the end of the day. Yeah, I think something like this is purely from a Liverpool perspective, and I think it. It it has a has had a tangible impact on the squad this season in that um thirty years of hurt go by and we streak a league title and we can't sell like the, the players can't celebrate it. I know they had like a night in a hotel in a bubble, but they can't celebrate with their family like properly. That like believe it or not, they still talk about Liverpool having a parade after the pandemic. And my God, that would be the single most as much as I would want it and I would go and that would be just so cringeworthy and so embarrassing like for the, the supporters of the club would just get pulverised by rival fans if we go celebrating a league title 16, 18 months later <laughs> like it's just ridiculous but but that kind of incentive um, you know you win something and then there's all the great times that are associated with the win there's parades there's, there's being out with family there's a release valve of pressure there's the sense of achievement it's probably a lot more difficult now when you're in a, a situation like, you know, City win the league this year. They're not having a parade. They're like, like it, it won't be remembered for a great celebration um, because it can't be um, in the way that they would like to. And I think there's like an incentive that's gone maybe. And, and maybe some of the, some of the, like the joy that would associate with the league title is wrapped up in that. Then it's probably suited David Moyes perfectly have not having the West Ham fans. Oh, totally. You know? And even you could say the same maybe for I don't want to take it away from him, but Gerard at Rangers as well. You know, like I think <laughs> some stadiums and some fans have probably, you know, really taken advantage of it as well. They've been they've been winners and losers. What I think it's done um is just reminded everyone who loves this game that there's there's actually a uh, one of the signage boards at Old Trafford says, you know, football without fans is nothing. And I wouldn't necessarily go that far, but the sentiment is bang on that, you know, like, I don't know about you guys, but I watch all the games without the fake crowd noise. 
that fake crowd noise is really, really, it really irritates me. So I, I watch it in, you know, the silence and the hollow nature. And when there's a real crowd back, I think, I think the joyous part of football will rush back just as quick, just as quickly, you know. Yeah, and I and I think you make a, a both you make a really really good points. Um, Shane, just going to touch on yours there, where you said, um, the likes of West Ham fans and, and David Moyes, even possibly Steve Bruce. I know he's probably still getting abuse, even though there, there's there's no fans. He'd, there. he'd be sacked by now if there was fans. I I think so. Yeah, no, yeah, I, I agree. Think so and but it also comes down to what Donica touched on for for players, for example. And I think I mentioned it before, but maybe Luke Shaw is benefiting from not having fans there. Fans been on his back for for his performances. Um, but again, we come back to the point that football players they're they're human beings at the end of the day. I know Shane, you just mentioned kind of mental health as well, and obviously we had Jamie Quinn on last week, and and he finished on a very strong message about mental health. Who and Jamie was involved in in football in the League of Ireland, so it just shows football players can suffer from from mental health issues as well um and i'm i'm sure there's there's many football players out there that are suffering um due to the to the pandemic the the current situation um and everything that that goes on so i, I actually kind of really enjoyed talking about that just kind of getting our points across and and maybe given the, the listeners our perspective on understanding why there's performance drop-offs within the within the Premier League, even though they are um, elite athletes. Um, we might just move on to obviously international. Um, duty is coming up in the next couple of weeks we might touch on the the club country route at the moment and obviously there's the argument around whether football clubs who pay the players should be releasing their players to go off travel around the world play in potentially three four i think it's three maybe different countries and then return home but may have to self-quarantine for for two weeks um Donica, where do you stand on this? Do you stand in in a sense that, yeah, the clubs have the right to refuse for their players to be taken away on international duty or um, the duty of call players turn up for yeah, their, their country? This this is a different difficult one right now because in the context of right now, what a fucking nonsense this is. Ireland playing guitar. Ireland playing Qatar now in the most pointless sporting event that has ever happened. And the only thing that can happen is someone can pick up bloody COVID somewhere along the line. I, I, I actually cannot roll my eyes harder at why this international break is happening. Like, um, with a pandemic going on, you've got players jetting all over the world. Apart from the risk to all, each of the players, the cost of them having to continually do all the testing and then you've got the quarantines... It's such a joke. Like, um, I don't know. Are there any of these upcoming internationals that are necessary, that are totally have to happen? As far as like, so I would include the Na- Nations League as like a Mickey Mouse, you know, stopgap to try and make international football more interesting outside of the major tournaments. So if it's a case of a Nations League, 
game, sack it off. Um, unless it's a World Cup qualifier, and even at that, I would sack it off. Like this, this international break just shouldn't be happening, in my opinion. Um, in a normal world, the like clubs really do suffer sometimes when players go out. Like earlier in the season, we lost Joe Gomez. Uh, he was at England training. We still don't know what happened. He had to get major surgery on his knee. Um, and the FA did pay Liverpool compensation, but we don't want to be compensated. We want our bloody centre half back. Um, and if you look at it very coldly and, and, and calculatingly, that's a you know that's a major asset to a club that is a major outlay to a club, and now it's it's undermined, um, you know, by an FA. And I, I really worry for like players who players who play for more kind of obscure nations not the powerhouse kind of nations like what kind of level of care are they are they getting um without without raising without naming any names but if, if you're playing for a relatively like poorly funded fa for example um is a is a high you know an elite athlete going to get injured because there's a lack of duty of care there by the the physios or you know whatever else but I, I, I hate it. I, I, I really don't want this going ahead for obvious reasons. But yeah. yeah, I'm just having a look at the international schedule here. So there's the the obviously two World Cup qualifiers for Ireland, for example, and then yeah. that bizarre friendly thrown in against Qatar, which uh, I agree. There's there's absolutely no need for it. They're they're part of our qualifying group, isn't it? Whereas we have to play them as friendlies. As in, so Qatar are part of our qualifying group so they play other they play us and other teams in our group in friendly matches as part of hosting it so it's not just a ran, uh, not, it's not a random well, one. i mean Qatar, that like it's still it's still a friendly that doesn't need to be played but yeah 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 i suppose yeah like as host nation like this is probably the weakest host nation that is ever going to be entered into a world cup um after south africa you'd probably say um so yeah i guess they they need game time, but you know that's all fine in a normal world, not when yeah. when we're in this current setup. Yeah, and just kind of out of curiosity, I was looking when the the next batch of internationals, and they're not until the first of September. So at least the they've taken five. taken that into yeah, obviously the Euros, but in terms of um, the next kind of World Cup qualifiers are not till till September. So um, again. We have the the Euros uh, coming up in the in in the summer. Whether they go ahead or not is 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 another story as well. Um, Shane, we, we kind of look back on. Obviously, we won't go into too much detail, but um, the impact international duty had on on Stephen Kenny and his squad and the amount of players that were out either with COVID or falsely identified as having COVID or being close contacts. Um. It just shows how much it can impact an international squad. But then it also showed, if I can remember correctly, there was a number of teams um, without players in the Premier League and I'm sure other clubs around around Europe that were without um, some of their, their key players after international duty. How much of an impact could that play on if players were to go away and then come home and then have to self-quarantine how much of an impact could you see that having? Obviously, again, it depends on what players um, could be out due to COVID. Um, but how would you see that impacting the Premier League? Yeah, well, the whole reason why they're saying they have to play it is, apart from financial, is there's no room in the calendar to play at any other time. But if one 
national team has an outbreak, the knock-on effect to the fixture congestion is going to be far greater than than what they're even worried about now. Yeah. So I, I, re- I, I really don't understand why they're doing it now. Like The players are so tired, they're so injury-prone. Getting on a plane even is going to be an effect before going playing a match. Um, it, it seems like it would be the perfect time to give them a rest. Like give the players ten days, give them two weeks of a rest now. And like I, I've seen, they've cancelled the South American qualifiers. Yeah. But like you said, the European qualifiers still certain countries. If they come back to England, they have to quarantine for ten days, and it's, it, it literally isn't feasible. Like I can't see how, you know. And then like Donica was saying about other FAs, but. Say Ireland, for example, we've got players playing down as far as League One or League Two, maybe even. Like, how stringent are their setups in terms of bubbles and testing? And, you know, to then be exposed to players playing in the Premier League and they're exposed to teammates. Like, I, I, I can't give any positive reason for it happening. Like, people will argue you need the money for grassroots with the different FAs and stuff, but it, it, it's just an accident waiting to happen even though it's not, it's more under control than it was at the start of the season. Like Liverpool had, didn't have Alisson and Firmino and Salah and yeah, it was quite a few that, loads of Liverpool players. Um, like they have it under more control now and I'm sure they got better procedures in place because they've had time to, you know, to perfect it, but something's going to slip through the net. It's guaranteed, you know, it, it is. And yeah, there's just going to be a fallout from it when it does. Yeah. There's definitely going to be some sort of a consequence from, as we said, players flying all over the world, a couple of different countries within 10, 14 days, and then returning home. There's like, there's going to be something. I'd just I'd be really interested to know like what the players actually think, and not just in in the in the time of COVID, but in general. Like, and you you probably have a, a fairly diverse range of opinions of some players might hate. I know. Like if you read certain autobiographies, some players hated internet. Got like a lot of England players of Gerrard's generation hated going to England because of the, um, because of the added pressure and and the media coverage and and you know and just an unhealthy environment. But surely can we not like include the players in the discussion of what the best way forward is for some players playing for their country? Like certainly for if I were were to play, um, professionally in any sport, playing for my country would be the pinnacle. Um, I wouldn't like whatever thousands a week wouldn't matter to me over playing for my country. Um, but uh, in a lot of ways, it's it's become very impractical, and it's like it's a thorn in the side of of the clubs. Um, the clubs' argument is we we pay all the money, we make all the money. Um, this is a sideshow. This and. I don't believe that the World Cup is the pinnacle of our, of of this sport. I really don't anymore. I think like if you if you put an elite international team up against a regularly playing Champions League team, there's no contest in my opinion. That Champions League they will get that international team will get their ass kicked in in almost every situation. And like World Cups, European Championships are they're great spectacles. But the if uh, uh, the festival of the festival of football in summer and yeah it's all great but these breaks are just we all know the memes like you know when you hear there's an international break coming up you just despair like every single football fan despairs <laughs> at the notion of it. 
if we uh, if we track back to uh, the 90s and international break was mentioned to the Irish players, they were loving it. Yeah. <laughs> loving it. Getting a higher amount. How times have changed. Points because they're full of protein. <laughs> How times have changed. How times have changed. Guys, just before we finish up, um, we might just briefly for, for a minute or two touch on, on fancy football and obviously the, the City game just finished 5-2. Um, Shane, you have De Bruyne as captain. A couple of goals for him. Um, Jonica, you, did you say you had Phil Foden? I have Phil Foden who got a couple of assists, but um, I, I'm, I'm almost at the point of giving up with this season's fantasy football. Um, the double game week... I, I, with the best of intentions. Like Liverpool attitude. <laughs> yeah. <it's, laughs> the double game week, I just, like, if it was if it was a target zone and I was shooting at it, I didn't have one single bullet that went in the perimeter of the fucking thing. Uh, I just keep missing. I keep just picking the wrong guys. I My fancy football died when I just assumed that Ilke Gundogan's goal scoring was going to be just a little spurt. And just week after week, I refuse to put him in to the point now where it's pointless putting him in, and he's still scoring. Shane, um, do you have a good double game week? Uh, yeah, I'm currently on seventy five points at the moment, waiting for waiting for bonus to come in. I, like I had some Harry, basically Harry Kane and De Bruyne and Fernandez got all of my points because I've got a lot of I've got. A zero, a few ones, lots of twos. So, yeah, I was quite lucky. I got three players who got me lots of points and then not much else. Not from the way it goes. <laughs> I'm just looking. I have 36 points this week and the average is 45. I have never, ever been that far away from even hitting the average. When you're below the average, it's bad because a lot of people haven't played it in a long time. <laughs> I, I like, below the average, is, I would have been better just randomising it. Ugh. <laughs> Uh, I um I, I went bench boost this week just to because I felt it was an opportunity when I had pretty much my whole squad potentially playing. Captain Sterling this week didn't even I don't think he even came on today. Um, this no, I don't think he did. So that's I had the previous double game week I had Harry Kane. I think he got eight points, obviously tripled that twenty-four, comes up with nineteen points um this week. Um one thing I'm going to say, I'm going to ask, why, I just didn't really understand it, why you take Bruno Fernandes out of your team? There was so many people that just completely took him out of the team, as in transferred him out. I just didn't understand that in terms of how much value you're going to lose as well. Dunica, do you have him? Or? I, had him I had him, I think, at the start of the season, um, which I didn't really care to admit when I took him out. And <laughs> if, if it wasn't for the fact that I needed to ship out Harvey Barnes, um, and I I spent too much on transfers recently. I would have taken Sterling out and put Fernandez in. Um, but like that's what I'll be doing now. Uh, between now and the end of the week for the next game week. But yeah, not like ah, uh, he's still a flat track bully though. He's it's just a. <laughs> um yeah, Shane, do you understand that? Seeing so many people transferring him out. I nearly benched him. I was he was he was really close to being benched for me. I was just I was pessimistic after the Palace game and. United looks so just lethargic and 
he did as well. It was the first game where I'd seen him just look a bit lifeless. Because um, no matter how he plays, he's usually full of energy. I'm amazed he's still going. Like in fairness to him, um, he's got a hell of an engine um, to, to have played that amount of football. Like I don't know what Genie Wijnaldum is made from. He is indestructible. He's played every single game for Liverpool this season and not had so much as a tweak. But um, there's not enough. There's not enough value put on that with players nowadays. Yeah, yeah. Like players like Harry Maguire, for example, gets a lot of stick. Not worth the money, etc. Blah. Every cup game, every league game. Like even when even when he's had a bad game and you think right we'll rest him for this cup game take him out with the limelight no he wants to play it never gets injured like, I I really don't understand like Pogba for example doesn't yeah. play well half of the games plays okay for a few plays good for a few but misses probably I don't know thirty percent of the games every season through injury I'll give you the the best ever in my opinion of a guy whose injury record was just incredible and and added so much value to the team. Luis Suarez at Liverpool for two and a half years. He missed two games um, during that time, and both of them were through illness. So there was a story that uh, went round. Sterling was given an interview, and he said that one, one game they were playing up in St. James's against Newcastle, and it was nil-nil at half time. And Luis Suarez has like a tennis ball lump on the side of his ankle, on the side of his ankle. He's getting it iced at half time, and it was swelled up to bits. And Brendan Rodgers was going to take him off. And he's like, no, no, I'm still playing. I just need bigger boots. And he he wore on his like right foot, his normal boot, and his left foot, he wore one of Gerrard's backup boots, which was two sizes bigger. And he played the game and scored twice in the second half, and we won 3-1. Like, some... That obviously wasn't a muscular injury, but some players just decide they're not injured. And I don't think that exists really much anymore. It's always these micro tears and, and low factors. and Some players just battle through. You know, and I'm not calling the current generation soft because there's a lot of sports science you can exacerbate an injury. Yeah, absolutely. But um, yeah, just some guys just battle, just go, just deal with it. You know, and others don't. So the advice this week: get Harry Maguire in your team, get Luis Suarez back out of retirement and into your fancy football team. Job done. Um, guys, just before um we finish up, I'm just going to um, I know we didn't plan this, but I'm just going to share the the screen here. And if we pick our five aside, so I'm just going to explain to the, the listeners. So it's called Build Your uh, your Dream Premier League Five Aside Team. And you have players valued from five pounds down to one. Um, so you have um, five, go- five goalkeepers, five defenders, five midfielders, and potentially 10 attackers. 15 million. What, what, what are we thinking for a, fi- for a five aside team? Straight away, I was thinking Ed- uh, Ederson. I'm going Leno just to get a bit of value in there for one million. Okay. Uh, oh, God. I actually think I'm gonna join you because the Ricketts are Larry's and yeah, I, I'll take I'll take Leno as well, actually. Okay. Especially in a five or side context, because the guy can actually play football. Yeah, yeah, he's good on the ball. He's I think he's underrated. Yeah, so do I. I think it's just because of the club that he's at, he's not given any credit. Um. Yeah, no, it's true. He's a, he's a, he's a pretty decent, uh, decent goalkeeper. Pity is a shit defense in front of him every week. But, um, speaking of shit defense, I think I actually might go David Louise for a for a five side team. Jesus, you lost your goddamn mind. 
Gary, you're going to have to put this up somewhere. This isn't going to work over uh, audio. <laughs> I'll put it up with the, with the video. Um, yeah, take, I'm taking Van Dyke then to make up for saving money with Leno. Yeah, I'm taking Van Dyke. I'm, like if I'm so the five are David Luiz, uh, Toby Alvarez, Harry Maguire, uh, Ruben Diaz, and. Van Dyke, and that's in the order of least expensive to most expensive. So yeah, even if Van Dyke was eight pounds, I'm putting him in. So me and Shane have the same team so far. So far, okay. Move on to midfield. We got um Ndidi one pound, Suchek two, Kante three, Bruno Fernandez four, Kevin De Bruyne five. Um, who are we going with? I think I'd be going Kevin De Bruyne. I'm going Bruno. It's very hard, actually. Um, Bruno. I'm just working, I'm working out my budget. I've got my team picked. Bruno's in. Yeah, no, I'm taking KDB, which means I'm gonna suffer now up top. Um, so I've spent eleven on my yeah, I've spent eleven quid now already. Yeah. Um, Shane, you are on ten, and I am on ten as well. So moving on to the first batch of um forwards, and uh, we got James Rodriguez one, we got Grealish two, Son three. Raheem Sterling four and Mo Salah five. Um, Grealish. I'd have to go Grealish, yeah, just because he's my favorite player in the league as well. I think same future. That's a full house, yeah, Jack Grealish. Grealish. You've seen like what a difference he makes. You've seen how bad Villa have been without him going forward. I don't think there's a more like impactful player in terms of for that team for a team in the league. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. Um, well, I was watching. I was watching a lot of Villa this season because I was really enjoying watching them. And then I've watched three or four games recently, and I've really not enjoyed watching them yeah, <laughs> because yeah. he's not been yeah. playing. He is ex- like obviously there's still a bit of pain there for Irish fans, but you know he's English, so fair play to him. He's going to yeah, follow yeah. follow w- how he feels and, and good on him. So I, I hold no ill will towards him apart from the fact that. If we had a trick them into playing for us, it would have been. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he's exceptional. He is. The other guy, I think probably Van Dyke is probably the only other one I could think of. If you take him out of the, their team, the team suffer as much as Grealish out of Villa. Yeah. And obviously, with Grealish obviously out of the team, I, I, I'm sure many fancy football managers probably took out um, Ollie Watkins, maybe took a chance and kept him in, but um, he kind of. Had a blank last five game weeks, four game weeks, and um, just shows that again the impact Jack Grealish has on that team. And um, so moving on to our last line of forwards. Um, so Firmino one, Abamyang two, Rashford three, Vardy four, Kane five. I think Vardy and Kane are gone due to the value we've got left. I think that leaves just Rashford for both myself and Shane. Um, I think is it, and is it Abamyang for you then? Donica? No, I'm taking Bobby. I love him. Ah. I love him. I love him. I adore I adore Bobby Firmino. And I will point to his recent assist against Leicester just before it all fell to shit for Liverpool. He does a Zidane pirouette, sets up Salah. Like, in a five-a-side context, Bobby's still your guy. I love him. Beautiful. Beautiful. Shane? Oh, I'm tempted with Aubameyang instead of Rashford, I have to say. <laughs> I think I'd pick Aubameyang, yeah. 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 Mix it up. Um, I I went Rashford. I, I just kind of, again, when it comes to a game of five-a-side, he's able to go for the, the nutmeg. Um, he's able to kind of 
hit a rasper of a shot from a bit of distance as well. Um, just his, his, his feet, but I'm not going to lie, he was very close to going for Bobby Firmino as well. I just think in a game of five-a-side, he's yeah. a man that literally drifts everywhere on the pitch. Ashford and Grealish should be getting in each other's way, Gary. They both want to occupy the same space. Left, that's true, man. That's you, true. You weren't, you weren't thinking it through. But you know what? I'm just gonna just gonna take a gamble like I do with my fancy football team, and it never pays off. So, um, uh, guys, um, just one thing before we we finish up, just to to mention to um anyone listening that on our Instagram page we have a giveaway at the moment, um, yeah. so we have a couple of books here to give away. So we have um a Stephen Jared book, we have Johan Cruyff, my turn, and we have a Didier Drogba book as well. Um, prizes to be won so if you jump onto our Instagram page jump onto the post and um, tag a couple of friends in the post uh, like the page and follow the page and you've been with a chance once we hit 300 followers to um, to win one of those books lads if either of you were to, to win a prize or, or, or name be drawn out of, out of the hat what book would you go for? Definitely Cruyff's for me yeah Cruyff for me as well 100% legend a football innovator. Have you uh, have you read it before? No, no. I've read Gerard's all right. Um, I'd be interested in Drogba's too, to be fair. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah I feel like I don't know a lot about Drogba's uh, kind of life. I suppose before he came to, well, he was in France and then came to England. Don't know. Yeah, yeah. quite an interesting story. Yeah. Um, what's there, what there we go at? What What's the best? Um, What's the best sports autobiography you've ever read? Good question. And I, I say or, that with in my own head. Um, just football or sports? Oh, I suppose anything. That's a very, very good question. I've got a bit of a left field one. Um, it's uh, Matt Hampson, the English young English rugby player who actually became paralysed in the scrum. Um, it was written by Paul Kimmage. Oh. Um, yeah. That's probably that's one of the best sports books I've ever read. Yeah, it's a bit left field, but yeah, yeah. I love Kimmage. I think Kimmage's writing is amazing. Yeah, so do I agree. Um, he's like he's he's a he's a very um, serious and quite pessimistic kind of character, but he writes very well. Yeah. Donica, what would you go for? I, I'm still thinking here. Yeah. Um, the one that's just an absolute riot is uh, John Daly's. If you're a golf fan, John Daly, just an absolute lunatic. Fired yeah. from most of the clubhouses on the PGA Tour because he kept getting pissed and trying to sleep with other players' wives, which he did successfully more than one occasion. <laughs> like, he, he was, he was like, self-proclaimed, like, white trash American, just with this prodigious talent for golf. And, like, so almost close to a real-life Happy Gilmore. Just yeah. a lunatic. Um like just his life is 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 it's not his sporting achievements it's his life which makes the books yeah. i can see is another good one actually yeah that's yeah. a great one yeah i heard a lot, a lot of people actually recommending that um throughout lockdown obviously this time last year um I, to be honest the, the book that comes to mind when, when someone says that in terms of sports and it's not really too much about his sport and background but i read philly mcmahon's book the the choice um, and it's very much kind of about his life and growing up in, in Ballymun and um, how he obviously went one direction and unfortunately his brother went uh, another direction. Um, that's just the, the mini you said it, Donica, that was kind of a book that 
came yeah. straight to the mind um, something obviously a little bit different than um, reading about the, the, the sports achievements of, of some of these players where you actually get a, a proper insight to their um, to their background to their life story so yeah probably Philly McMahon the choice I think professional footballers ones tend to be boring unfortunately yeah. like not one of us yeah. Are, yeah. footballer there you know, like unfortunately they've still got an image to to worry about after they write it for the most part yeah like I kind of gave up on, on a, a lot of the, like, I read maybe three or four of the Irish rugby internationals books and I just saw dull. Like, Brian O'Driscoll's autobiography, what a sportsman that man is. Like, such a terrible book. Really, really nothing happens. It's, it's got awful. Um, the one uh, football one that stuck in my mind was Latin's one, which at the time was a great read, but apparently a lot of what's in it is is very much indulged. And he, he, he basically a lot of it is lies. <laughs> yeah, I heard that. Yeah, so he's never, but, he's never yeah. even read it himself, supposedly. Yeah, yeah, and like stories about him pulling up to Barcelona training in a Ferrari, and you know, and and Pep Guardiola says we all drive the same car, and he pulls up the next day in an even more ostentatious Ferrari. Like funny at the time, but apparently a lot of stuff didn't go down how he says it did. Yeah. Shane, if you had to if you had to pick one uh, footballing book, one footballing book. Oh. No, we're kind of putting it. Well, Donegal's put us on the spot here. Yeah, <laughs> I don't, To be honest, I stay. I, I genuinely stay away from them for the reason that I just have so lo- such low expectations of them. I don't. Mm. I never feel like I get. I get. Actually, I've got one. It's not an autobiography, but it's a really good book. Eamon Dunphy's diary that he wrote when he had the season at Millwall. Um, it's Eamon Dunphy. Uh, more than a game it was when they were playing in the the equivalent of the championship now and he kept a diary for that whole season um, and it got it got released I don't know how shortly afterwards but while it was still all very raw um, and it gives a really good insight to professional football back then um, so yeah that would actually be yeah that would definitely be mine I forgot I read that that's really good um, kind of obviously speaking of books and, and kind of being disappointed um, I think it was Arsene Wenger's came out, was it maybe a year ago or less than a year ago? And I remember hearing that it was going to be released and I was thinking that would be really, really interesting. But I listened to a couple of um, reviews online and literally the, the, the people who read it were saying that they sat down, expected so much from the book, so much insight, so much information. And it was literally like, yeah, I almost signed Ronaldo. Like... Uh, stories like that that you, that you've known you've heard before you're expecting just a lot more um again there's i i kind of enjoyed them in in a sense that they're easy to read and you don't really need to focus too much um kind of like a holiday book almost but yeah. um i remember as well i read um the paul mcgraw one and um, again about his life story and again probably falling back to the life story of of, of certain people um that one was very, very touching in, in a sense that all the trouble, the difficulties that obviously he went through from from yeah. a kid right up to even playing football and how he was treated even by Sir Alex Ferguson and, and, and United. Um, and then the achievement that he went on to win PFA Player of the Year at, at Villa. Um, yeah, that that's probably one of the ones that, that would top the, top the list for me. And again, falls back on... on on, on his life more so than 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 the football aspect um they're, i think they're the be- i think they're the best ones and when they're they're written with integrity and they're written from 
you know, from that person's perspective. You don't want it like a shadow writer. And one actually, another one that's very good in a sporting context is Ronnie O'Sullivan's one. He's got a couple, but he's got one called Running, which is actually Ronnie O'Sullivan was nearly a national level like uh, ten kilometer runner. He was exceptionally quick. I think his record ten k is like thirty four minutes, which is absurdly fast. That's very good. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, and again, he's another lunatic. Like his dad went down for murder. Used to run like sex shops in the sixties and seventies in London. All sorts of funny anecdotes, you know. Yeah, but may- maybe we could. Um, I don't know. Over the next couple of months, um, run a podcast on based on kind of books or reviews yeah. of books, and just even passing on I- ideas to each other. Um, or any any people that are that are listening to the podcast. Um, but guys, we might um wrap it up there. Um, really enjoyed having Bodie on Donica Shane. Um, again, um, looking forward to maybe having you on again in the future. Donica, we'll let you go and uh, watch the the Leipzig game. Um, Shane, obviously, we can just kind of sit and relax and enjoy the football tonight. Yeah, we've got PSG Barcelona if you want to watch some, hopefully, another uh, Kylian Mbappe master show. Uh, or, or Verratti. Or Verratti, yeah, true. Yeah. Right, guys, pleasure. Um, Cheers, guys. Take yeah. it easy. Cheers, guys. Um, Enjoy it. Peace. All right. See ya.